Here it is. From deep inside your radio. Ladies and gentlemen, um, I, I'll admit it. I do, or I have in my day, watched a lot of uh, television news in this country. Followed the, uh, the course of events at the television news broadcasters with some interest. You may have uh, done so too, in which case you would have, and if you've been around for a while, you would know that uh, ABC News was uh, sort of a minor laughing stock in the 1970s. It was there, and they had some uh, well-known people there, but it wasn't a, a distinguished broadcast news operation. And then it was taken over by the head of ABC Sports, which people really had people snickering until he engaged in a what can only be described as a race for gravitas. Uh, well, whether through his efforts or through the uh, coincident downsizing of the competition, uh, by most accounts, that campaign succeeded. And therefore, having achieved that gravitas, the succeeding regime is um, hell-bent on stripping the organization of that gravitas because, you know, who needs gravitas, really, when you stop to think about it? Except those who uh, seek to be taken as serious persons. Uh, So now the uh, Sunday Yak shows, you know, which have always been a place for Washington-based spin and inside chit-chat, at least the one on ABC has descended. If you could descend from that, you can. They've proven it to the level of shrieking local news, local TV broadcast news. Um. Today's broadcast focused on Flashpoint's terror. That was their; those were their words, up on the screen, all the time, lest you forget. And uh, they brought in to underline the Flashpointness of terror, or the terror of Flashpoint. I don't know which. Four ex-American generals, each of whom got to say, because you know, part of local newsing it up is to make every segment shorter. And make everything happen faster. So these four general, ex-generals were, you know, awakened at some point on an early Sunday morning to troop into some TV studio somewhere where they're now retired to say um, each one um, about three sentences on the subject of Flashpoint terror. And, uh, you know, now the good part is that at least they were kept off the streets for a while. But they, um, like... So many officials in the wake of the Paris attacks, they uh, are, are either suggesting or calling for new powers. We need new powers. We don't have enough powers. Despite the fact, which nobody brought up, that the French were tracking the guys who ended up being the perpetrators in uh, Paris. But to reiterate a figure that was uh, shared with viewers of the BBC a week ago by a former a security official in in the United Kingdom. It takes 30 people to keep tracking each one of these uh, potential terrorist suspects. Now, I don't know if they can only track one at a time or if they can kind of multitask. But, of course, we'll never know how many people it takes to uh, 
sift through all the surveillance that the NSA. Well, you know, the more more powers, the more data, more data, more data. How many people it takes to sift through that? We will <laughs> never know. Oh, and uh, by the way, which defense contractors are those ex-generals working for now or on the board of now? Damn, the show had to move too fast for us to learn that. Maybe next week. Hello, welcome to the show. Still so dark because it's still so early And the chipper little girly at the front desk doesn't mind at all These phony living rooms and fake plants are killing me This bad coffee's filling me with equal parts joy and rage Put my makeup on and crack in half I choke back a laugh Find the camera with the red light Good morning Tucson The lights come on Which means I got the donuts that I wanted There was no young punk to steal my jelly glazed And I'm still sort of amazed that you can be born in the 90s When I don't like what they talk about I take the earpiece out They just cue me through the window And I'm writing something, but I'm really far away, really far away. I keep my smile warm and kiss the turn the camera on, cause now I have something to say, I have something to say. Camera's melting, but I keep going it's been a pleasure knowing you i wish you all the best of luck when the prompter dies i'm comfortable winging it i'm practically singing it the song that tears the world apart through the smoke beyond my parking space i see my giant face on the billboard by the highway good morning tucson the lights come on and so i smile wide and say From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, we've got the ultra-modern knack of getting oil from the deepest crack. So give the boys just a bit of slack and say a hearty, what the frack? Well, ladies and gentlemen, two hazardous chemicals never before known as pollutants in the oil and gas industry, they would be ammonium and iodide, are now being released and spilled into Pennsylvania and West Virginia waterways from the booming energy operations of the Marcellus Shale, according to a new study reported in Scientific American. The toxic substances, which can have a devastating impact on fish, ecosystems, and potentially human health, Oh no, not human health, are extracted from geological formations along with natural gas and oil during both fracking and conventional drilling operations. This according to Duke University scientists in a study published in the journal Environmental Science and Technology. I get it for the 
pictures. The chemicals are then making their way into streams and rivers, both accidentally and through deliberate release from treatment plants that were never designed to handle these contaminants, according to the researchers. Why did they design them to handle ammonium and iodide? They knew they were there, didn't they? Ammonium and iodide. Sounds so safe, don't they? The findings have major implications for whether stronger regulations are needed to curb water pollution from fracking and other oil and gas industry operations. Good luck with that. Over the years, the industry has faced questions about unsafe well design that allows methane to seep into drinking water and about lubricants. Mmm. They go down easy. And other chemicals it adds to frack water. Duke researchers have conducted a number of studies on these problems. Now add to the list of concerns ammonium and iodide two naturally occurring dangerous chemicals that are essentially unregulated in oil and gas wastewater. Well, why, why bother to regulate them? We, 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 we are releasing uh, this wastewater into the environment, and it is causing direct contamination and human health risks, says the co-author of the study. He's a professor of water quality. How does this taste, professor? It should be regulated, and it should be stopped. That's not even science. It's common sense, he said. Industry sources? Well, they didn't have a comment. Really? When dissolved in water, ammonium can turn to ammonia. That's highly toxic to aquatic life. Well, then get out of the water. The Duke team found ammonium levels in streams and rivers from energy industry wastewater outflows at levels 50 times higher than the EPA's water quality threshold. But Congress created a loophole in a 2005 energy law. Fracking wastewater isn't regulated under the U.S. Safe Drinking Water Act because Congress said it's not water? What? Duke scientists found that the iodide contamination from energy operations, while not toxic by itself, promotes the production of disinfection products when it comes in contact with the chlorine used in most water treatment systems. Previous studies have shown such disinfection products have tarsic, toxic, sorry, and carcinogenic properties. Only a few are regulated. That's in this overregulated environment you hear about. What the frack? Speaking of contamination, a federal judge ruled this week that BP, you remember them? Not a British company because of all their American stockholders. BP will be held responsible for spilling nearly 4 million barrels of oil into the Gulf of Mexico during the 2010 <laughs> A decision that could lead to a penalty of 13 more than 13 billion dollars. The judge's ruling came just days before the third phase of a civil trial over the oil spill is going to begin. This would be the highest fine yet paid in the U.S. over environmental pollution. But stick around. More, more and higher to come. Quantifying the volume of oil that ended up in the Gulf is essential for assessing fines, even if, as the judge ruled, quote, there's no way to know with precision how much oil discharged into the Gulf of Mexico. I guess they don't have valves and meters. The judge found it, well, of course, they'd blow. The judge found a total of 4 million barrels of oil gathered, gushed, sorry, from the well during the incident. In a separate ruling over the oil spill last year, the same judge found BP had acted with gross negligence, that's a quote, in events leading up to this blowout. That ruling was significant because it means BP could face maximum possible damages under the Clean Water Act. There's that damn regulation again. He uh, additionally ruled, the same judge, Punitive damages will not be sought from BP. I guess you can commit gross negligence and not be eligible for punitive damages. I guess you can. 
Uh, during the second phase of the trial, now over, attorneys representing the United States government and the states of the Gulf Coast each presented evidence that BP had publicly low-balled estimates for how much oil was flowing from its broken well, even while knowing the figures must have been higher. The judge ruled that while there was, quote, no dispute that BP lied about the amount of oil that flowed from the well, unquote, it has not been proven that BP's lies kept the well from being capped or delayed progress with stopping the flow. So you can lie and not be uh, guilty of gross negligence. It's, uh, it's a wonderful thing to know. I feel freer already. Uh, unlike some people in our ally, our friend, Saudi Arabia. You remember that, uh, <laughs> don't have to have much of a memory to remember it, the uh, big rally, the big free speech rally in Paris last week where 40 world leaders uh, attended, held locked arms in the, uh, in the support of um, free speech. I believe there was a representative of Saudi Arabia there. There were representatives of several countries, Egypt being one, that uh, you, you don't want to be trying too much free speech in, in their confines. Well, Saudi Arabia is one of those. You know about the Saudi blogger Raif Badawi? We are Badawi. His wife says King Abdullah has referred his case to the Supreme Court, I guess for an appeal, because there's now an international clamor over the 10-year sentence Badawi got for blogging. Yeah. No, he got more than a 10-year prison sentence. He also got sentenced to a 1,000 lashes in public. These are our friends. These are the civilized people. The wife said the decision raised hopes that the authorities wanted to end her husband's punishment. The authorities already postponed Badawi's second dose of 50 lashes, which was to have happened day before yesterday, on medical grounds after a doctor said wounds from a previous lashing had not yet healed. Human rights campaigners said the move exposed the, quote, outrageous inhumanity of his punishment. Quote, said uh, Amnesty International's deputy director for the Middle East and North Africa, quote, the notion that Ralph Raif Badawi must be allowed to heal so that he can suffer this cruel punishment again and again is macabre and outrageous. Flogging is, in my view, at the very least a form of cruel and unhuman punishment, said a member of Jordanian Jordan's royal family. Such punishment is prohibited under international human rights law, in particular the Convention Against Torture. How quaint of him to mention that. That's the one we violate. Saudi Arabia has ratified it. I appeal to the king of Saudi Arabia to exercise his public uh, power to halt the public flogging, said the member of the Jordanian royal family. Uh, he was uh, criticizing Saudi Arabia's powerful clerics on his blog. Uh, but not just him. An appeals court held, upheld the conviction of his lawyer and brother-in-law. Always a good idea to have your brother-in-law as your lawyer, ladies and gentlemen. Walid Abu Al-Khair on charges that included offending the judiciary and founding an unlicensed organization. His sentence, which was appealed, the appeals court decided his 10-year sentence should really be 15 years. They can do that, I guess, in Saudi Arabia. Our friend, our, our, our 
passionate partner in the support of free speech, don't you know? Shh, don't say it there. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. Well, John Kerry, speaking of that rally in Paris, apparently apologized. According to French Foreign Minister Laurent Fabiou, he said Kerry apologized for his absence from last Sunday's march and rally. The White House was forced to admit it erred in sending only its ambassador when most countries were represented at head of state or ministerial levels. Kerry, who, as you may recall, the Republicans used to say, looks French, told French Foreign Minister that he was unable to come earlier because he, Kerry, was traveling in India and Bulgaria. You've got to be taking Secretary of State job easier, uh, seriously, if you'd rather be in Bulgaria than France, don't you think? The Boston Globe's chief executive officer said he has apologized to House Speaker John Boehner for a story that mocked an alleged death threat made against the Ohio Republican. Quote, I thought it was tasteless, insensitive, unnecessary, and regrettable, Mike Sheehan told a competing paper of the story. Sheehan said he sent a letter of apology to Boehner for the story that was headlined, quote, Would anyone have noticed if bartender succeeded in poisoning John Boehner? Unquote. The story has since been rewritten with the offensive content removed. Quote, it should be obvious to any sentient human being that an item mocking threats against the speaker and his family is completely insensitive and inappropriate, said Boehner's press secretary. Okay, another thing you can't mock. Kevin Hart, an actor, said there was no need for an apology from the Sony executive who called him a whore in one of the Sony emails that were hacked and then made public. Sony Screen Gems president Clint Culpepper referring to Hart's desire to boost his $3 million salary, wrote in an email, quote, I'm not saying he's a whore, but he's a whore, unquote. Hart shot back on Instagram, quote, I worked very hard to get where I am today. I look at myself as a brand, and because of that, I will never allow myself to be taken advantage of. I, now this is capital letters, I own my brand. I make smart decisions for my brand. Now back to lowercase, which is why I'm able to brush ignorance off my shoulder and continue to move forward. Hart tells the Hollywood reporter Culpepper has apologized. I've talked to him. It's not like I wanted to challenge him. That's just how he talks. He did apologize, but there was no need. When you negotiate, you say whatever you say, unquote Kevin Hart. Words I'm going to live by. A suburban Chicago police chief has apologized for making a comment about shooting and killing the department's police dog, Biko. Harold Kaufman, the Midlothian police chief, was recorded talking to a police dispatcher and saying, our canine officer just came in and quit on me, so now I'm going to be stuck with either going and shooting the dog or killing it and killing it or finding somewhere to put it. Kaufman said because Biko is an active police dog, he must be placed with a proper handler and cannot simply be taken in as a pet. After the recording went public, Kaufman apologized at the village board meeting this week. His apology was recorded by a resident who posted the video to YouTube. My statement about shooting Biko is admittedly inappropriate, and unprofessional, Kaufman said at the meeting. I assure you at no time that I actually intend to shoot Biko or harm him in any way. Kaufman said he would not make an excuse for his statement about the dog, who is a Belgian Malinois. As head of the police department, I recognize I need to accept responsibility for my actions and move forward accordingly. The canine officer who left his job with the department said he did not believe the chief's apology was sincere. And you know, 
canine officers know how to judge sincerity. Dateline Nairobi, a Kenyan newspaper has apologized for reproducing a caricature of Prophet Muhammad featured in the Paris-based Charlie Hebdo magazine in its first issue since it was attacked. The Star, Kenya's third largest newspaper, said that many Muslim readers had complained about the picture, which was published in Wednesday's issue. The Star said it sincerely regrets any offense and pain caused by the picture and will bear Muslim sensibilities in mind in the future. Deadline Berlin. The Berliner Zeitung, on the other hand, has apologized for publishing an anti-Semitic cartoon on its front page last week. The Berlin-based paper published an admission that there was a manufactured picture from the title pages of magazine Charlie Hebdo. We regrettably showed an anti-Semitic cartoon. We offer this as an apology. Israel's embassy in Berlin first noticed the phony cartoon. That is to say, it wasn't from Charlie Hebdo on the pages of the Berliner Zeitung and contacted the paper about the provenance of, of the drawings. It's unclear how the editorial staff at the paper was hoodwinked by the fabricated Charlie Hebdo cover, however. Deadline St. Anne, Missouri. Police Chief Aaron Jimenez apologized for a case of mistaken identity after a police chase a day earlier. The man handcuffed in the incident wants the officers fired. St. Anne, this is Missouri near, you know, Ferguson. St. Anne officers mistakenly handcuffed Joseph Swink at, uh, mid-afternoon Thursday after Swink's car spun out from being struck by a car that was fleeing from police. Jimenez, the police chief, said Swink's car crashed and stopped the officers meant to arrest the driver of the car that had hit Swink. That man fled a traffic stop he crashed after hitting Swink. We did put handcuffs on the wrong guy, said the chief, and I apologize for that, but they did it in good faith. It was literally an accident. Swink, 22 years old, says he thinks the St. Anne officers who tackled him to the pavement and handcuffed him should lose their jobs. Quote, I don't know what they were thinking, Swink said. He's a junior county major at the University of Missouri, St. Louis. He doesn't have health insurance. He suffered cuts and bruises to his face during the incident. He wouldn't say how his injuries occurred. The chief thinks it was Swink's airbag that did it. Jimenez did acknowledge the scuffle with police could have aggravated any facial wounds. As soon as the officers realized Swink was not the fleeing driver, said Jimenez, they uncuffed him and offered medical treatment. You want medical treatment from the police officers who have just handcuffed you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Everybody knows that. Fox & Friends co-host Anna Quiman Apologized for a segment last weekend about so-called no-go zones in France, according to Fox News guest Nolan Peterson. Certain areas of Paris reminded him of Afghanistan and Iraq. This is like the other guy, the uh, terrorism expert on Fox, the week before, said the same thing. This quickly became fodder for a Fox News journal, which slammed Fox for showing a map of these areas, even calling Elizabeth Hasselbeck and Peterson the two anchors on the show, Barbie and Ken. The apology did come on Fox and Friends. And Keisake Kawata, one of Japan's most famous singers, has apologized for jokes he made during a concert in December in which he impersonated the emperor. The front man of the long-running pop band, the Southern All-Stars, said in a statement he is merely trying to entertain the crowd at Yokohama Arena. During the performance, Kawata used a high, high-pitched voice to imitate the emperor and showed off an honorary medal he received last year that he said he might auction. My inappropriate handling of the medal with purple ribbon made some people feel uncomfortable, Kawada said in a joint statement with his management company. He said the stunt was intended as a joke and said he was deeply sorry for his actions. Comedy by amateurs, ladies and gentlemen. Right-wing groups rallied in front of the office of his management and demanding an apology. A spokesman of the company said the 
apology was unrelated to the demonstration. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, that is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, news of the godly. This week, the news broke that the publishing arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, Lifeway, and Tyndale House, a major Christian publisher, would stop selling a book called "The Boy Who Came In from uh, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven." Lifeway was informed this week, said the statement from Lifeway, that Alex Malarkey, Alex, ladies and gentlemen, Malarkey, ladies and gentlemen, has retracted his testimony about visiting heaven, as told in the book. Therefore, we therefore we are returning to the publisher the copies we have in our stores. Tyndale has decided to take the book and related ancillary products. What would those be? Pedometer for walking through heaven? Out of print. Some Christians have lobbied for years to stop, that both of these organizations stop profiting from the sale of heavenly tourism books, supposed true stories of people, often young children, visiting heaven and come back to tell about it. They inevitably become bestsellers, according to pulpitandpen.org. One of the main criticisms of these books is the frequency with which they contradict each other, regaling the reader with diametrically opposing details about heaven, including details of who will be there, what Jesus looks like, and so forth. A simple example would be in Heaven is for Real. Readers are told that everyone in heaven has wings. But a book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, makes no mention of wings. The Bible indicates, according to Pulpit and Pen, the Bible indicates that the residents of heaven before the resurrection of the saints, do not have bodies. It's unclear, therefore, why they would need wings. And the boy in question, Alex Malarkey, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, details of what Alex supposedly experienced while he lay in a coma after a car accident when he was six years old. The coma lasted two months, and his injuries left him paralyzed. But uh, then he wrote this book about, uh, I guess, a little, a little time he spent up with uh, either the winged or the non-winged. Winged. Now Alex has a statement as well. He recanting, in recanting his testimony about the afterlife in an open letter to Christian bookstores, posted on pulpit and pen, he states flatly, I did not die. I did not go to heaven. Referring to the injuries that continue to make it difficult for him to express himself, he writes, Please forgive the brevity, but because of my limitations, I have to keep this short. I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. Oh, well, why didn't you say so? I robbed a liquor store because they, they had money. When I made the claims that I did, Alex, malarkey goes on, I had never read the Bible. People have profited from lies and continue to. The Bible is the only source of truth. Anything written by man cannot be infallible. Unquote. Mr. Malarkey. Three clergy abuse lawsuits are nearing trial in um, Minnesota. Concerns are mounting over the cost of future claims, so the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis filed for bankruptcy protection. Stopping the civil trials. The move allows the finite resources of the Archdiocese go Go, to go equ- equitably to clergy abuse victims while letting the institution continue its mission of protecting clergy. No, sorry, not really. Archbishop John Neenstadt said uh, the uh, archdiocese has assets of 10 to, six, 10 to 50 million, nice range, 
and liabilities of 50 to 100 million. And ultimately, the archdiocese might have to sell some assets to pay its debts, said the archbishop. He said he does not intend to resign. But it's not just that religion. Prominent Zen teacher Edo Shimano resigned as head of a Buddhist monastery in New York a few years ago over allegations of sexual abuse. His fall from grace and the subsequent revelations of other teachers' misdeeds forced many American Buddhist communities to evaluate how they handled such abuses of power, reports the Huffington Post. This week, 90 Zen teachers signed onto a letter expressing their remorse over the alleged sexual assault and their commitment to alter the, quote, culture of silence that fosters it. There's a culture of silence in Buddhism, too. This is so we have the Orthodox Jewish community in New York, about which we talked last year, Catholic Church and Zen Buddhism all share a culture of silence on this particular subject. Shh. And perhaps you noticed, I certainly did, uh, Pope Francis, uh, among all the people weighing in on the uh, Charlie Hebdo situation, Pope Francis was in that number. He said this week, there are limits to freedom of expression. Uh-oh. And that following the Charlie Hebdo attack in Paris, quote, one cannot make fun of faith, unquote. The Pope said freedom of speech was a fundamental human right, but, quote, every religion has its dignity, unquote. Really? All right, then. One cannot provoke, one cannot insult other people's faith, one cannot make fun of faith, the Pope went on. There is a limit every in, to freedom of expression. There are limits. He gestured to his aide, Alberto Gaspari, who organizes papal trips, was standing by his side at the moment. And he added, quote, If my good friend Dr. Gaspari says a curse word against my mother, he can expect a punch. It's normal. It's normal. You cannot provoke. You cannot insult the faith of others. You cannot make fun of the faith of others. According to the Pope, unquote, according to the Pope, the right to liberty of expression comes with the obligation to speak for, quote, the common good. As soon as you figure out how to find out what that is, you let me know. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. You've seen ultimate fighting. You've seen extreme ultimate fighting. This week, for the first time, strap in, bear down, and get ready for extreme ultimate natural fighting. Vatican Smackdown 2015. Not cage fighting, oh no. That's a little too civilized. Twelve challengers of the Pope's mother's dignity face off against furious fighting Francis inside the two-inch glass bubble of the Pope-mobile. One minute each to dodge the punch and pontiff, but there'll be no pontificating, just pugilisticating. This Francis isn't a CC. He's a no-no. But this isn't pay-per-view. It's papal view. And you can't pay with PayPal. Vatican Smackdown 2015. Fists, feet, everything's flying except the nuns. One night only coming soon. Call your cable or satellite provider now and ask why you are not seeing extreme ultimate natural fighting. A chilling effect production. It's not just extreme. It's not just ultimate. It's natural. natural.
king he slew him Seth knew not why For if the children of Israel Were supposed to multiply Why must any of the children die? So he asked the Lord And the Lord said Man means nothing He means less to me Than the lowliest cactus flower The humblest yucca tree Chases round this desert He thinks that's where I'll be That's why I love mankind I recall in horror The fineness of thee From the squalor in the field How we laugh up here in heaven The prayers you offer me That's why I love mankind Christians in the Jew We're having a jamboree Buddhists and the Hindu join on satellite TV. Pick the four greatest priests, and they began to speak. Say, Lord, a plague is on the world. Lord, no man is free. The temples that we built to you tumbled into the sea. Lord, if you won't take care of us, won't you please, please let us be? And the Lord said, and the Lord said, I burned down your cities, I blind you must be. I take from you your children and you say, how blessed are we You all must be crazy To put your faith in me That's why I love mankind You really need me That's why I love mankind This is Le Show. Here's another reason to love mankind. News of the warm. Copyrighted. Award winning. Won't you? Soft listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. It's not good news this week, ladies and gentlemen. 
about half the processes that are crucial to maintaining the stability of the planet, this one, this Earth thing here, have become dangerously compromised by human activity. That is the view of an international team of 18 researchers who provide new evidence of significant changes in four of the nine systems which regulate the resilience of the Earth. One of the systems which has been seriously affected is the nitrogen-phosphorus cycle. I have my washing machine on that cycle all the time, which is essential to all life and is particularly important to both food production and the maintenance of clean water. That's all. Just the food and the water thing. People depend on food, and food production depends on clean water, says professor from the McGill School of the Environment who contributed the research on the nitrogen-phosphorus cycle. This new data shows our ability both to produce sufficient food in the future and to have clean water to drink and to swim in are at risk. You know, I'll, I'll skip the swimming if I can have the food and the drinking water. The research fixing new planetary boundaries, which represent thresholds or tipping points beyond which there will be irreversible and abrupt environmental change, was published in the journal Science. It suggests that changes to the Earth's climate, biosphere integrity, a concept covering loss of biodiversity and species extinction, and land systems through deforestation, represent a risk for current and future societies. You know what? Screw future societies. We're here. The fourth process, which has become significantly compromised, is the nitrogen-phosphorus cycle. Both elements are essential to plant and animal life. One of the problems is that phosphorus, which is used as a fertilizer for fields and lawns, is in limited supply. That supply is geopolitically concentrated. Guess where? Morocco, China, and Algeria. Make friends with them fast. The second issue is the excess of phosphorus-based fertilizers draining from fields and lawns having disastrous effects on the surrounding water, leading to algae blooms that can cause the decline or death of other lake organisms and produce toxins that are dangerous to people or animals that swim in the lake or get drinking water from it. It's not a good thing for any of us, says one of the researchers, apropos of crossing the planetary boundary. Human activity. Predominantly, the global economic system is now the prime driver of change in the Earth system. According to Anthropocene Review, that's a journal, a chart, chart, the research charts the great acceleration in human activity from the start of the Industrial Revolution in 1750 to 2010 and the subsequent changes in the Earth system. Greenhouse gas levels, ocean acidification, deforestation, and biodiversity deterioration. It is difficult to overestimate the scale and speed of change. In a single lifetime, humanity has become a planetary-scale geological force, says the lead author, who led the joint project between the International Geosphere-Biosphere Program and the Stockholm Resilience Center. Twelve indicators depict human activity, like economic growth, population, foreign direct investment, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Twelve indicators show changes in major environmental components of the Earth system, like the carbon cycle. When we first aggregated these data sets, we expected to see major changes, but what surprised us was the timing, said the researcher. Almost all the graphs show the same pattern. The most dramatic shifts have occurred since 1950. We can say around 1950 was the start of the Great Acceleration, said one of the researchers. And by great, he means not great. The acceleration in global sea level from the 20th century to the last two decades has been significantly larger than scientists previously, previously thought, according to a new Harvard study. Wheat plays an important role in feeding the world, but climate change threatens its future harvest. Without adaptation, global aggregate wheat production is projected to decline by 6% for each additional degree of temperature worldwide. 42 million tons yield reduction for one degree Celsius. This uh, result calculated by an international research consortium published in the journal Nature Climate Change.
The globally average temperature, you probably saw this in the news, over land and ocean surfaces for 2014 was the highest among all years since record-keeping began in 1880. The December combined global land and ocean surface temperature average was also the highest on record. A NASA study using two years of observations from a novel mountaintop instrument finds that L.A.'s annual emissions of methane, a powerful greenhouse gas, are 18 to 61 percent higher than widely used estimates. This is the first study to demonstrate the feasibility of long-term mapping of greenhouse gases across an urban area from an elevated but still earthbound site. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Some uh, secret stuff for you today. We have for you today some secret stuff on special. Um, late Friday, so you, so you shouldn't notice, the Obama administration ended up paying uh, more than a quarter of a million dollars to settle a lawsuit from Abdullah al-Kid, an American citizen who was arrested in 2003, imprisoned for 16 days, repeatedly strip-searched, and left naked in his cell. He was held on the grounds that he was a potential witness in a terrorism case. Quote, the government acknowledges that your arrest and detention as a witness was a difficult experience for you and regrets any hardship or disruption to your life that may have resulted, said the Justice Department in a letter to Mr. Kidd. And of interest to more people than Mr. Kidd, you know Central Intelligence Agency Director John Brennan, not previously known, consulted the White House before ordering agency personnel to spy on a computer being used by the Senate Intelligence Committee in its investigation of the CIA's torture program. This we now learn from a report by the CIA's Inspector General. A report completed last year, only released by the agency this week. It reveals Brennan spoke with the White House Chief of Staff before CIA employees were ordered to, take, to use whatever means necessary to determine how certain sensitive internal documents, i.e. the Panetta Review, which was an internal review of the CIA's torture program that found pretty much the same stuff as the Senate investigation found, how that had wound up in the hands of Senate investigators, because they were never supposed to see it. Conversation with McDonough came after Brennan first issued the directive, but before he reiterated it to a CIA attorney leading the probe. This also came before the CIA revealed its search to the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, whose staff was the target of the snooping. This new information suggesting the White House was aware of and didn't stop the CIA's computer snooping on the Senate, a separate branch of government, is unlikely to improve relations between the Senate Intelligence Committee and the executive branch. Feinstein has said the CIA's computer search likely violated the Constitution's separation of powers. This uh, not admitted or known before to the public, but the, uh, the executive branch itself didn't reveal it. It was revealed, as I say, by the CIA inspector general, because it is the most transparent administration in history. You know, you know, I ordered a halt to the torture because that's just not who we are. But you can't go forward looking backwards, running government or a car. And yet, some folks just couldn't stop poking through mistakes some patriots had made. 
first, I, I thought they were joking. Just raining on our parade. Sure, an inspector general made a scary secret report. But I fully expected our senators to cut the whole thing short. Instead, they went on a witch hunt. And of course, some witches were found. If spies were all nice people, they'd be working down at the pound. The most transparent White House in history. And it's worth it, despite the fuss. Because we're always looking through you. And you can see right through us. You know, you know, we never said we wanted the Senate's report to be suppressed. We just tried to X out the stuff that would hurt folks in the Middle East and the Middle West. The names of our agents, the names of our programs, the countries hosting black sites, how often we waterboarded some folks, how many we gave sleepless nights. The guys we hung from the ceiling, the guys we just didn't feed, the guys we did feed through their poop holes, although they were cleared to be freed. They were just a few little edits. It didn't detract from the text. But our senators were being stubborn. We didn't know what to do next. The most transparent White House in history. From our point of view, that's a plus. We're always looking for you. Then you can see right through us. You know, you know, then somehow the senators found a secret internal review. It agreed with their conclusions. That's a very dangerous thing to do. We had to know how they achieved it to keep them from doing it again. You don't want senators finding the uh, stuff we're hiding from them. So we gave very specific instructions to have their computers surveilled. Snooping to find their snooper so that he might be jailed. Now, we didn't mention it earlier. We were waiting to reveal it now. Disclosing our lack of disclosure. Just taking the edge off of Al. The most transparent White House in history. There's nothing left to discuss. We're always looking through you. And you can see right through us. I feel so damn good. I'll be glad when I got the blues. Yeah. Come on, come on. And I feel so damn good. I'll be glad when I got the blues. Come on. And I'm so down being up. I'll be winning when I start to lose. Well, come on. 
street. Huh, I feel so damn good. I'll be glad when I got the blues. I'm so down in I'll be winning when I start to lose. Yes. From New Orleans, still, this is the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news from outside the bubble. This is from The Guardian. Ecologist Mark Brown knew he'd found something big when, after months of tediously examining sediment along shorelines around the world, he noticed something no one had predicted. Fibers everywhere, tiny, synthetic, finding them in the greatest concentration near sewage outflows. Mm. In other words, the fibers were coming from us. 85% of the human-made material found on the shoreline were microfibers, matching the types of materials such as nylon and acrylic used in clothing. Microplastic is ubiquitous in all five major ocean gyres. Numerous studies have shown that small organisms readily ingest microplastics, introducing toxic pollutants to the food chain right down at the bottom. Brown's 2011 paper announcing his findings marked a milestone, according to an inter- internet independent maritime research scientist here in the States who has ch- helped to check for plastic in more than 150 1-liter water samples collected from around the world. He's fantastic, very well respected among marine science researchers, says Abigail Barrows, this independent researcher. He's a pioneer in microplastics research. In sampling wastewater from domestic washing machines, Brown estimated around 1,900 individual fibers can be rinsed off a single synthetic garment ending up in our oceans. 
Alarmed by his findings, Brown reached out to prominent clothing brands for help. He sought partnerships to try to determine the flow of synthetic fibers from clothing to the washing machine to the ocean. He also hoped his research might help develop better textile designs to prevent the migration of toxic fibers into water systems. The reaction? Not quite the enthusiastic embrace that he might have expected. He contacted leaders in the outdoor apparel industry, including Patagonia, Nike, and Polartec. None of these companies agreed to lend support. Because they care. But not about that. News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this very broadcast. Little uh, news of our friend the Adam. A leak of radioactive water from a tank at the Browns Ferry nuclear power plant near Chattanooga released tritium, our old friend tritium, into the environment. A TVA spokesman said the leak was quickly contained and presented, say it with me, no risks to the public. I'm, you know, I'm going to be relieved when we're, there, we're actually subject to a risk. The TVA, which operates the plant near, oh, sorry, not near Athens, Alabama, said a drain line leaked between 100 and 200 gallons of tritiated water at levels above acceptable EPA drinking water standards. The leak was fixed, was largely contained within the plant, according to the TVA. And regulators say to the failure of an alarm system that would warn of low levels in a water tank forced workers to begin a shutdown at the reactor at Indian Point in New- upstate New York. The shutdown was reversed when repairs were made. The tank is important because it would be used to pump water into the reactor during an accident. But we don't have any of those. Water levels were not affected. The NRC said a second alarm must be repaired within seven days or they'll look concerned. Clean, cheap, safe. Too cheap to be concerned, our friend the Adam. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at this same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet 7.490 megahertz shortwave, shortwave, on the mighty 104 in Berlin. 
Um, Around the world via the Internet at two different locations. The Internet, live and archived, harryshearer.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone. They're getting smarter every day through stitcher.com and available as a free podcast. It's getting freer every day at wwno.org, Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, iTunes, and TuneIn Radio. And you can find it when the show is streamed throughout the day by public radio stations around the country by consulting publicradiofan.com. And be just like repairing that second alarm problem within seven days. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh huh. Shepo to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile in Hawaii desks. desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead, to Jenny Lawson, and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO in New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this broadcast and a playlist of the music heard here on. And your way to order Cars I Talk t-shirts, all available at harryshearer.com. And if you don't get enough of me here, I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from New Orleans.